and welcome to So Farscape. A fun-filled Farscape fan cast by a fervent fan. And a fresh-faced first-timer. I'm Kaki. I'm Kay. And this is The Story, Story So, so Farscape. Farscape. Where we have our, our bright-eyed, bushy-tailed science jock sucked through a wormhole in some distant part of the universe. Onto now, a ship. living ship. Very good. Yeah. With some strange alien life forms, such as... In this episode, I think the Rigel is uh, the, one of the most prominent characters. Our little Muppet alien, a ruler, a dominar of yes. 60 billion subjects. Uh, one day you'll get the number right. Well, I believe in you. Ruler of the Hynerian <laughs> yeah. Empire. The big Luxon warrior, Dargo, or Tentacles, as we like to call him. Yes. And, of course, beautiful Zahn. The serene blue priestess, former priestess. Not quite so serene as more, anymore, either. No, but she's had a bit of a lapse, hasn't she? Uh, well, she does still manage to be the ship's counsellor uh, whenever it's needed. And, of course, the peacekeeper gone rogue, Eren. And pilot and Moya, oh, completing and the... And Moya. Uh, well, we started with Moya. Oh, yes, of course. No, she is, of course, now uh, pregnant. Yes, which has, uh, has resulted in quite a few problems. This episode as well. Yes. This episode that we're going to discuss today is... Um, 114, Jeremiah Crichton, in which, seemingly abandoned after crash-landing on a planet, Crichton starts a peaceful life alongside inhabitants once ruled by the Hynerians. He unintentionally becomes involved in a power struggle which puts his life in danger. Uh, directed by Ian Watson. Oh, uh, he's done some work before. Written by Douglas Hayes Jr., who I think... His only other credit is Till the Blood Runs Clear. That's oh, yes. with the uh, Vorkarian blood trackers. It was a few episodes ago, right, yes, when they were hunting him. And uh, Yeah, also an exciting one. First aired on Friday the 30th of July, 1999. Yes, and also in 1999, as we step into the So Far Back machine, was... Yeah, uh, branding is important. It's very important. Our <laughs> legal department insists. So I know we normally go for something in the science fiction and f- fantasy genre. But yeah, that's I, our, I thought, our bailiwick. Yeah, but I thought that... Since uh, Rigel's playing such a prominent uh, part in this episode, I would go for something else that also came out in 1999. Ooh. One of my favorite food TV shows, Good Eats by Alton Brown. Ah, uh, yes. Now, Alton Brown, is is he the sort of culinary, like, a, a scientist wizard with the, the yes. molecular, yeah? Well, not, the, not necessarily the, the molecular, molecular but he's, his thing's all about, he's got, like, elaborate props which he uses to describe the things that's going on in food, and he does very much, <laughs> uh, yeah, he does always a very good background explanation of how things in food work and why you are doing them. He's also known for uh, the American version of Iron Chef. Ah, right. And in more recent years, cut, Cutthroat Kitchen. Alton Brown is a famous chef, like a Michelin star? I don't chef? think so, no. no I think I, he's just one of those TV personality like chefs. Yeah. Of course, a great cook. He's the one who is very much against having unitaskers in your kitchen. He says only, oh. there should only be one item in your kitchen which only does one thing, and that's the fire extinguisher. Very good. And everything else should have multiple purposes. purposes yes. So it's like his cutlery drawer must be all sporks and knorks and knoons. Yes, and, and, and lots of knives. But yeah, you shouldn't have a, a cucumber peeler if it only really Or only a quail de beaker. Exactly. Those are the kind of the tools that have no place in the kitchen. I wonder if he has a cutlery drawer with the sort of space cutlery that we've seen in Farscape so far. Oh, we haven't seen very much cutlery, have we? It starts with the uh, the two-tined fork in the yeah. premiere episode where I believe they just got that from Ikea and then welded one of the tines right. off in order to make it look like extra spacey. But historically speaking, forks started off as only having two tines. Well, it's only later that huh. they started adding more for better stabbing purposes, I suppose. It is just like a prong, just like a bident it's a, yeah, to it's start a, it, with. It's a double prong, because if you have one prong, then your food will rotate around it. So you put a second one next to it, so you can actually 
stick it into something and then lift it up oh, without yeah. it like, it's starting to spin around the uh, the single prong. And you can slit the knife through if you're cutting your vegetables if you meat want to, or whatever. Yeah, that, yeah. that would be an option as well. Stick a fork in him, he's done, he's over, the fat lady is singing. Although, okay, so they made a whole point. I know that we're talking about the first episode now, but just yeah. re- i got to get this off. They made this whole point of hiding this cutlery that they were, they were using. That's how they John and, and Aaron escaped when they were prisoners yeah. of the prisoners themselves. But they ate food cubes with their hands. They eat everything with their hands. They I just suppose, sat there popping yeah. food into the... So what was the cutlery for? I don't know. Maybe in case there was uh, going to be proper food around. I mean, oh, prison, okay. prisoners probably only get the slops. Usually yeah. it's only a bowl of gruel and a spoon. Not in Alton Brown's kitchen, because yeah. a spoon is a unitasker, so it has well, to be a, a food or a knoon. Well, no, you can use, you can use things... Or a knoon. Sorry, <laughs> yes. that's the one. There's a whole Venn diagram you can make There is, yeah, there is, there is. The, the, the one in the middle is really confusing and also and almost impossible to pronounce too. Yeah, what does it do? Yeah, everything apparently. Not very well though. Everything but very badly. Yeah. Oh, and speaking of not working very well at anything, that's the condition that we find our, our heroes in as we begin episode 114, Jeremiah Crichton. Yes, it's Crichton and Tentacles, somewhere in deep in the bowels of Moya, literally so, apparently so, because occasionally yeah. a bit of noxious gas escapes, and as they're trying to fix a blockage, I suppose. Yes, there's some build-up in her amniox system. Now give that amniox a bit of a twist, will you? That sounds reproductive to right, me. Right, yeah, but you've got the amniotic sac, which is like what the baby mm-hmm. generally is generally held in, so I would, that seems to be uh, make sense. There's a pressure build-up and they're trying to fix it. And Speaking of pressure build-up... Yes, John is extremely moody. It, it starts off with him going like, it's not always my fault. And Why is it always is my, my fault? fault? Yep. Diago says, it's not always your fault, it's just almost, almost always, always your, your fault. fault which so. is a choice quote <laughs> that I'm, I'm going to get a lot of mileage out of for the... <laughs> The rest of my life. It's right up there with... The imperfection is yours. Oh, yes, that's a very snarky one, too. Uh, so he basically stalks off, and then I noticed that it was, like, lots of weird metallic hollow sounds. It was, like, yeah, definitely yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a very different sound from, uh, that you normally have to Moya. That's a very good point, because normally on Moya, it's all very bubbly and churny. Yeah, it's like metallic and boom sounds and, like, yeah. clanking noises, which you normally don't hear. So maybe that like the the Leviathan reproductive system is the more mechanoid part of the biomechanoid. I would suppose so. The baby ship needs to be constructed as well, I suppose, unless she has a organic three D printing system. Oh, I, don't, I, mean, I mean, the first time that we see the fetus, and then it's it's presumably just brand new. It's already pretty big, and it's encased yeah, in, it's in the size some of kind of mini or so, probably be the amniotic uh, environment. Oh, there you go. But yeah, John uh, stalks off, uh, gets intercepted by Zahn, who starts to do her uh, little. Uh, oh, is everything all right with you? Yeah, she was just, like, hovering on standby. It's like she was just standing in the middle of a hallway just waiting for someone to have a psychological issue for her to empathize yes. with. <laughs> what a convenient thing to have. Although to she share. antagonizes him a bit more, even, because he said, I'm fed up with it. And she immediately starts going into, oh, are you... F-? And he goes, don't... It was funny the first 10,000 times, but it's not yeah. anymore. Well, I'm sorry, is this going to be another translator micro hiccup? Oh, John, you're fed up. Does that mean that you've had too many food cubes today? It was cute. It was vaguely... Vaguely amusing the first six billion times. Okay, so in my first viewing of this, way back when, I thought that John was being really unreasonable. Mm -hmm. But, like, thinking about it some more, okay, they all have these translator microbes. This must happen all the time. So You'd think so, yes. Her going, oh, you just said something unusual. Fed up. Was that condescending this whole time? 
Right. Or was she doing that for his benefit? Maybe. I don't know. To sort of gradually teach him. Fun. Oh, no. Don't use you, idiom when you're talking don't to use aliens. Idiom. You did it wrong again. Like, we all learn that in school. When you, you, when yeah, you yeah. talk to aliens, you say things literally. You don't go look at Darmok and Jalad at Denagra. I suppose that makes sense, yes. So he goes to put on his non-spacesuit uniform. like <laughs> non-NASA non-spacesuit. <laughs> it's, meant, it's meant to look like one of those orange flight suits, but it's clearly not, because it's just got a zipper and a collar. And <laughs> yes, it's like it's no the pressure helmet, control. The helmet doesn't attach to the, uh, to the suit, so... It, yeah. A football helmet. Oh, I, I remember listening to the uh, uh, the audio commentary for... Actually, it was this episode where they really let loose. Oh, it's fantastic. And one day when you're older, I'll let you listen to it. But you have some growing up to okay. do because it was actually recorded after the fourth season. Oh, that's a long way a long way back. Yeah. yeah. And it's Ben Browder and Claudia Black and Rockney S. O'Bannon, uh, the creator of the show, and David Kemper. And one of the things that they talk about once they get in the mood of bitching about this episode is also like the opening shot of the credits, which sees him with yeah. this, this not very good helmet like Rockney S. O'Bannon and, and David Kemper were the producer and, and, and creator but they weren't like directing the episode no. or, or directly involved in that so they got their first tape of their new show that they'd helped birth it into life and they saw this image of a dude in a zip up like tracksuit sitting <laughs> in a in a plastic module with a with a football helmet they got this isn't it is it that's not a space helmet. That's serious. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ben Browder as well, but like it was his second day on set. He's not going to rock the boat. This is no. it, is it? Well, everybody says that this is it. Okay, okay. here we go. <laughs> yeah. They must have really trusted that little shuttle for uh, right. uh, the construction. I mean, to be fair, it has held up very well to all the punishment it's been getting so far. Oh yeah, I mean it's been it's been sucked through a wormhole, snapped up by the the, the docking web, was crashed into, and it's officially out one. of fuel now. Yeah, well, you don't have to worry about that. That was the last of my fuel. Totally dependent on your technology now. It's not my technology. It's Leviathan technology. Fargo, I don't give a rat's ass what you want to call it. You're into the universe. It's your technology. He's burnt off the last of his fuel, and he's now completely reliant on Moya's uh, power system. I guess they've like modified it. It was in the uh, in the other episode where he was. Uh, oh, also written with. by Douglas H. Yes, yeah, yeah, so hey, I, so I guess he wanted a little bit of reference continuity. back to his own. Yeah. I noticed that as well previously, where there was another, oh, I forget who, who the author was. She did IET and then came back later for, ooh, was it PK Tech Girl? Oh, Probably. I'm doing this off the top of my head. But Probably, yeah, you yeah. had the, the same like little bits of continuity there. Yeah. Uh, oh, no, they've got a secret. Because IET started off with the Paddock Beacon, a mm-hmm. leftover bit of PK, uh, peacekeeper right, technology. Yes. And then they've got a secret. Started off with them sweeping the ship for more leftover bits of peacekeeper yeah. technology. So that's like just the directors bringing it back. The little things that they've inserted into it. And like, yeah. look, it's still relevant. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he decides to take his little module out for a buzz and blow off a little bit of steam. And he just goes like zooming around Moya. We get some gorgeous shots of uh, Moya as she's oh, uh, yeah. floating around in space. And he is like buzzing past her in his uh, little drag race module. Just blowing off, not literally steam, because he's out of propellant, but uh, right. uh, whatever his propulsors eject. Of course, uh, at that point, the blockage gets a little bit too much. <laughs> Moya gets in distress and initiates a starburst. Yes, she needs to decompensate, and Rigel seems to know what that means. Oh, no. Right. Decompensating. Oh, no. That means she's Prepare going to... for immediate starburst. And I know that he I hates hate Starburst. I know that he hates Starburst, but he does not know a lot about Starship operations. So, is that just how he responds to everything? Like Maybe. Mo- Moya receives a distress call. Oh no, that means Starburst. No, it doesn't, Rigel. <laughs> 
He's right this time, though. <laughs> yes, and we is. see this. We see this beautiful starburst effect, which the the wash of it catches uh, Crichton's module, but yeah. doesn't suck him through like uh, it uh, did with Erin's uh, ship back in the day. Yeah, because she was caught in the backwash and she was sucked along. What power travelled with us? Blackett's radio, net it and bring it aboard. As good as done. I guess that it happens because Crichton was moving front to back and Aaron was trying to catch up with them at the time. So right. let's yeah, call was, it that. Let's say that that was the reason. He was skin dancing yeah. and, uh, yeah, yeah, he crossed the sort of energy membrane in the wrong direction so he couldn't be sacked along. And the ship is gone and he is like, You guys are bugging out on me? I hate Starburst. They left me? Yeah. I'm dead. Oh, God, I am a dead man. And yeah. yeah. That's a really good point to go to the credits because, yeah, what are you going to do? It's a dinky little ship. It doesn't have, uh, what's it called, their, their, their FTL uh, hatch drive. Yes. Like, Starburst is unique to Leviathans, and everybody else uses hatch drive to yeah. get from place to place, but it doesn't even have that, said Furlough. No, I mean, it just, like... It's just like an inter-atmospheric module, more, right. more than that. It's not really is. But apparently it uh, he manages to find something inhabitable because after the credits, it opens with a lovely shot of a ringed planet or moon. I don't know which one it is. And a gorgeous, uh, lush green planet yeah. with Crichton lying on the back of his module waiting for his what fishing contraption to uh, start producing some food. What an, an an incredible image this was! Like I've talked about uh, uh, in IET, how like the crash landing into the swamp was an image that really stuck yes. with me, and so was this. Mm. So he's taken his his jumpsuit khakis and he's made cutoffs of them. He's barefoot, bare chested. Got a little tent, and he's got the he's module got a little hobo tent. Yeah, got the module parked on the edge of the lake, which really makes me wonder how he landed it there, because he's got the landing gear out, so he clearly didn't uh, skim the water and. Get it on the, oh, uh, right. on the edge. So unless it has some sort of vertical landing capability, which I guess it might have, thanks to Moises. But even then, why would you park it right on the edge of the water with the wheels in the mud? Let's think about this for a second, because we find out later in the episode that there is a, a negative energy vortex that sucks right. power of anything that, that, that arrives. So probably his last ascent would have been unpowered, much as Dargo's is when he arrives later. But his craft is more aerodynamic. It could have probably glided. Let's see, he would have gone safety? He would have gone for a water landing? True, but then you you wouldn't put the the landing gear out. No, that's what I'm thinking. So I'm thinking he made made a water landing, and maybe his craft can float. Yeah. And then it was just a matter of like towing it to the to the coast, you're, using it as a boat. You're playing good cop this right I, time round, aren't you? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, we're gonna have to talk about that because. Um, so, did you like this episode in total? We're gonna have to clear this up. I did. I was entertained by it. Okay, so then I'm going to have to play bad cop because this is a very divisive... No, it is a very unifying episode. Unifying in that it is almost universally... Disliked? Disliked, yeah. It is not a beloved episode. I mean, it wasn't very exciting and it did have uh, a lot of the... The Star Trek trope of the the big reset button at the end of it, because at the end of it, everything goes back to the way back it was. Back to normal, yeah. So the, it, it has literally no effect on the story, other than some character development, I guess. There are many, like, skip it or watch it or must-see lists out there right. to help people, like, condense their episode binging. This is always on the skip lists. But it wasn't a bad episode. It was fairly entertaining for an episodic series. It was fairly entertaining. Right, yeah. But it's it, it's more of a Star Trek episode than it was a Farscape episode. Let, let me put it like that. 
I don't know even know that Star Trek would ever go there because okay, we find out that he's been there for three months enough yes. to grow this terrible fake bad bad beard, <laughs> this awful, just like uh, uh, the fans know it as the ferrets. I've had alien creatures in my face, up my nose, inside my brain, down my pants. To oh. me, it, it looked like I don't know. They, clearly, Dargo had some of his uh, beard care products uh, stacked <laughs> away on the module because, damn, it's smooth. Yeah, the Lux and L'Oreal yeah. has worked its magic. He's sitting on the back of the Farscape One. He's got a he's got a fishing crossbow contraption. That, yeah, there's a coconut uh, floating in the water, and as soon as something underwater takes a nibble on the coconut, the crossbow fires off this big spear type thing and yep. gets some. I don't know. It was like it looks like a water spider. It's not. It's not got enough legs for a spider, but it doesn't have any pincers either. So it's just this You're big right, thing that yeah. he pulls out of the water. And uh, as he does so, there's this gorgeous, handsome young lady who is clearly off the planet of the Purple Pants people, uh, <laughs> yes, standing on the shore watching lovely him. Lovely sarong. <laughs> It is gorgeous. I love the material, uh, everything. The clothes are beautiful in this episode. Oh, Terry Ryan, the costume designer, did yeoman's work. It's incredible here. And uh, he offers her a bite of the creature that he just caught, and she gives, gives him this mysterious little yeah. smile. You do know that if a man in our culture offers a woman's food, that he's signaling his intentions or uh, his yeah. interest. She's doing the, the sort of coquettish, oh, ho, 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 ho. Yes. Oh, ho, ho. But she's come <laughs> to give him a gift as well, and I thought it was just eviction papers at first. <laughs> but no, it turns out <laughs> she would be a fantastic like legal server or whatever this calls it yeah. to like serve you your papers. <laughs> but no, it's a star map that she's made apparently. Ah, yes, a, a map of the heavens because apparently during the time that he's been here, he's divulged to the locals that he is a spaceman, yep. and they're like, "Oh yeah, no, so were our ancestors. It's cool. We understand about yep, space. They're fine with that." She shows him the map and asks him, "Like, where's your planet from?" And he picks up this stone and he hovers it about the map a bit, like he's looking around for the place. Yeah. Well, let's see. On this map, right about. And then he turns around and he chucks it way into the lake. <laughs> <It's> so good. <laughs> okay, so there's deeper symbolism there if you want to read into it, because a wormhole does look like a vortex, I like suppose. a sink yeah, yeah. In, uh, in water. So maybe that's what he was going for. I don't think so. I think he was just like trying to convey the distance, or I have no bloody clue what it is. Because he's still a little grumpy, isn't he? He is, a little bit. Even to this nice young woman. He did seem very serene as he was lying on top of the ship and just chilling and enjoying the weather. But now he's still a little bit moody. And even more so when another very handsome local arrives. Rokon. Rokon. The first among the hunters. Yeah, yes. I can sort of understand his uh, his mopiness because, okay, we have the leading man of a science fiction show finally gets to take a shirt off uh -huh. for the whole start of an episode. He's bronzed, he's tanned, he's uh, he's an independent hun hunter. He has apparently caught the eye of a local princess. Yes. Uh, and he finally gets to give a gun show uh, and we all have front row tickets and then in walks this... Chiseled, gorgeous. God, yeah. This this absolute unit of masculine perfection. Rokon walks in, just casually flexing, putting poor Dumpy John to shame. Dissing his catch, because he, so he goes, oh, you got a baby. You really shouldn't take them if they're any smaller than that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no. That, I kind of, I mean, it is a little bit of big dogging. It totally was. But it's also, I mean, it's responsible hunt or fisher hunt huntership. Yeah, you don't go for the you don't go for the young ones. You let them mature first. True, true. I, I assume after three months he'd known that, and he's just like 
rubbing it in a little bit. Probably also a little bit envious of John has built some clever devices in order oh, to yes. it's, be able it's, to subsist. Yeah, it, it's, I very much thought this was going to be a Robinson Crichton moment, but... <laughs> yeah. Robinson Crichton. Oh, I like that. Do you know it was originally called Kreutznir? Sorry? Kreutznir was Kreutznir? the original. Oh. Kreutznir Robinson was oh. the name of the main character, and it was apparently a time where it was popular to like reverse your first and last name. Oh, okay. And then he, he made Robinson into his into his. I had name. no idea that was done. So the crew of Moya at this yeah. point, and this is where we learn that it has been a, thir- a quarter of a cycle that he has yeah. been stuck on this planet, have in the meantime been hopping from one green planet to the next. On yep, just the green ones. Backtracking their starburst and uh, trying to find Crichton. What an incredible and okay, so it's it's wearing on them, uh, mostly but, on Zahn. Yeah, yeah, she thinks they should give up. Yeah, because like we're making it we're making it easier for the peacekeepers to find us, and we should yep. give up the search. She's clearly not there. Moya's starburst data says that this planet is on an exact reverse trajectory, along with every other system we've been through in the last quarter of a cycle. But Stoic Tentacles is having none of it. We must keep going. Whatever happened to John is his own doing. He shouldn't have left Moe in the time of crisis. We drove him to it. All of us. Yeah, not abandoning a comrade in need. And, like, he also says, we drove him off the ship. Yes. Like, he's, he's taking some responsibility for this. Yeah, it was a rash action on the part of John, but he realises, like, they have some complicity... At least he uh, which, does, yeah. Like, exhibits an extraordinary amount of, like, empathy and, uh, and responsibility from this normally gruff and himself very impulsive warrior. Right, and that's what I've noticed in Dargo in general, is that he seems to either be over-reasonably or overly unreasonable. It's like, he, and, and I can never tell <laughs> yeah. which situation will provoke which reaction. And sometimes he goes like, yeah, dude, point. you're overreacting. And then the next time something like this happens, he's overly reasonable and cautious and friendly. And he's, he's still very stoic about it, but... He, he, that is true. And for Zan, the same is true in kind of the opposite, like their counterphases to each other. Like, yeah. she is coldly logical. He calls her cold here as well for one to quit. Cold, perhaps, but also practical. But that was the same logic that she used when she decided to help cut off Pilot's arm. Yes. Yep, it'll grow back. This Sometimes a, a sacrifice must be made for the, the good of everyone else. And, that's, and she can justify that to herself really coolly. Yeah. And, of course, Erin gets to cast the deciding vote, and she goes like, eh, let's keep looking. For now. Yeah. yeah. She's straight down the middle, as if it doesn't really bother she her. She seems almost a little bit bored by the argument between Dargo yeah, and yeah, Zahn. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, oh, this one again. And like, and I wonder if it's, it's still her like simmering interest in Crichton or not, which has oh, come yeah, up a, a few bit. times during the last few episodes. So it might be she's not trying not to show that too much. But she goes, yeah, okay, let's, let's keep going for a little bit longer. Which placa- placates yeah. Dargo, and Zahn goes ahead with me. Which I found interesting, by the way. Rigel apparently Rigel doesn't, doesn't get a vote. vote. No, no. <laughs> yes. Listen to me! I get that. So, I, and I think that's from a sort of practical point of view. Like, I, I don't know for sure, but I imagine in the original script, Rigel was there as well. And then the producers looked at how many different places Rigel had to be in this episode. Oh, and it was already too many. We've only got seven or eight days to shoot this, and it takes 14 hours to move this puppet from place to place. You, you just can't have five different scenes with him. I they, guess you have a point, because they needed him on the outdoor on the, set. Yes, exactly. So they couldn't have him in the Shipping studio. back and yes. forth. It would just be way too unwieldy. Yeah. And consider that. Uh, Again, I don't know for sure. It's just no, like, no. It's a, it seems it's to make sense. Such a huge... I mean, oh. yeah, the, the special effects budget this time around really went to Rigel. 
It's unmistakable, yes. yes. <laughs> and the rest went to costumes. I can, yes. I bet, because we're back on the planet, we have the, the village. village of the Purple Pants people. The Purple Pants people, they wear orange as a highlight color. Uh-huh. It's gorgeous. It's all these, these beautiful, shiny silks that they're wearing, all these all these different variations. Yeah. There's a lot of... I'm getting a bit of a, uh, a Pacific uh, theater vibe of these. Well, not Pacific theater. Yeah. Well, but Pacific theater is a very loaded term there. Yeah, well, yeah but, no, but, that's what, you know what I mean. Uh, um, Pacific Islander Polynesian, vibe. Yeah, Polynesian, Polynesian. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. what I was looking for. Thank you. Like, there's a beautiful waterfall at the back of the village, which is... A Tiny village, apparently. Yeah, there's like, not going to be like 50, 50 people, people there, maybe there. at most. That sounds about right. Something like that. And but they seem to be happily living. They've got like they're fishing. They're, I don't know. I presume they're hunting. Children uh, are playing. Uh, music's uh, being made. John wanders through the the the, the village where he's uh, given his own little vest. He's wearing that uh, above his khakis as he goes to pay his respects to the village leader, elder. No, more of a leader. He doesn't seem to be particularly yes, old the, yet. Yes, the grandir, Kato Ray, who is the father of the uh, the, the beautiful young lady that we of have uh, Space just, Moana. Moana. Space, Spoana. No, <laughs> no, that's nothing. But he's he's quite beloved among the among the villagers. Apparently so, because he's given a position of honor to sit at the uh, chieftain's side in his hut. Yep, he, much uh, to the chagrin of the uh, high priestess. Yes, who's who's seen him wandering in, greeting the uh, the locals, playing lightsaber pretend with uh, with one of the with <laughs> yes. one of the children, and now sitting next to the uh, the chieftain, which is a, yeah a place of honor reserved for the the greatest of hunters, which the 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 priestain's son, uh, first among the hunters, yes. Rokon, has only attained once. And this is a like this mother is like it's tiger mom. She <laughs> is super like I mean, yeah. she, she she eggs him on. She's like, and how often have you sat there? And it's like only once. And it's like. It should be your place, and she's like yeah, no, super right. ambitious mother. She's sort of like like the Oedipal version of Lady Macbeth. <laughs> yes. Ooh, ooh. I mean, not that much no. blood on our hands in this episode, but fair enough. It's such a lovely village, and I, I I like how much time is is spent just just seeing everyone, all their different clothes, the the dwellings, the technology they have. Oh, this lovely set of rocks that. Uh, oh yes, yeah, will come into play later. Sort in of the- ceremonial. It's it's a really lovely place to live, and that's the message of Kato Ray as well as he's talking to to John. Um, he's trying to entice him to like become part of the of the village because yes. he's been living like a hobo on the edges. Uh, according to John's words, by his own choice, not well, interfere yes, with their ways. He wants to, uh, yeah, he wants to maintain the prime directive or something. Oh, and, uh, Star Trek again, yeah. Yes, well. We also learn, I believe, here that it is the, the, the women here who dis, uh, pick the mate, their mate. And he's yeah. basically sanctioning her, his daughter uh, choosing Crichton. Yeah, who conveniently walks by with her with her fellow sorority, of, uh, yes, <laughs> and once again <laughs> tittering behind Which there. Which is weird because I didn't get that vibe of her at all in the beginning. It seems a bit of a cliche shot that they threw in here. Yeah, yeah. Now, I, oh, great credit to the uh, uh, to the director Ian Watson. Like, I understand that he took great pains with this episode because he did not want uh, uh, the natives to be presented primitive, uh, yeah, uh, as, yeah. Or in 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 bad stereotypes or like to avoid all those all those tropes. But uh, I think it was Claudia Black who observed, like, as a, as a consequence, all of this is treated way too seriously. Okay. Everyone like. Yeah, so this seems like a living community, and, yeah. it's, and it's very well presented, and all the characters seem real, but nobody's having any fun. Like, there's no cheek to it. There's no, I suppose, there's no wink and nod and nod and silliness. Also, what I noticed is that despite it being a very small community, the racial diversity is immense. Yes, 
we have people who who look to be of Southeast Asian descent. Yeah, we have people, Islanders, clearly uh, clearly African descent. Come uh, uh, Caucasians as yeah. well. Yeah, they've got you've got this 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 huge mix, uh, which like is is revealed later. They are themselves descendants of colonists. Yes. So it would but have you'd, been. A, you'd think that they've achieved an amalgamation after like hundreds of years, which must have certainly with such a small population. Yeah. But, but may, yeah, there might know, be maybe more. there are more. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's what we're we're supposed to believe. Like they probably didn't have the budget for thousands upon thousands. Very of true. Uh, which you would only uh, use in a few background shots, and then uh, aside from that, completely ignore. Speaking of diversity, yeah, we're going to continue with the uh, with the segues. Yeah. The diversity of the planet is increased with the sudden arrival of two new aliens. Right, Dargo and Rigel. Uh, Rigel is complaining about the, uh, the 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 piss poor landing. Right. That is the worst pod landing I ever experienced. Where did you learn to fly? Lost all power. We dropped the last twenty units. You're telling me. Uh, Dargo is, uh, yeah, a little bit defensive. And we soon learn why, because as Rigel floats out on his throne chair, it immediately powers goes down. and into the water, yeah. In, no, 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 I think it's in the ground. He doesn't get wet. Uh, but, it, yeah, he has to climb out of his uh, throne chair, because apparently there's this, yeah, the, this is where we learn that there's this Negative power Negative energy vortex, yes. Negative energy vortex, that's the one. And it's affecting their comms, so they lose contact. Yeah, they, they, they can briefly speak with pilots, but uh, very soon they lose their uh, their contact. Uh, Dargo notices that his keyblade doesn't work properly either. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he turns it from a sword into a rifle, then it f fails to fire, so he, I guess he turns it back again. Rigel has to, like, stumble through the sand. Uh, not a very good walker. No, no, he doesn't, he doesn't do that very often, also because the CGI is insanely expensive. Yeah, you can t definitely tell that some of those shots are green screened where, he's, uh, where they have him like walking across the sand or walking out of the shuttle. I uh, do love his, his walk, though. I've got a little animation yeah, of, yeah. It, of it here. Like, he sticks his arms way out and like, overbalances. He is so uncomfortable on land. So I wonder how, the, what, what's that like? Where do Hynerians live? Do they live in the water? I mean, he is kind of like amphibious, but he hates mud. Yeah, and is his is his poor walking just because he's the lazy dominar, or is it because he was tortured, or is it because it, it's something oh, wow. that all Hynerians do? Okay, well, um, thinking about it, he's, you see him on his throne sled. Yes, you see him on his throne sled. He has his feet sticking out. Yeah, and he's got little little pokey little feet sticking forward. He is. Uh, he is very roly poly. I don't know whether that's normal for Hynerians or whether he's just a, 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 a portly gentleman. Yes. Um, so Fat I royal dude. I mean, we don't know. We don't know any other Hynerians except for, for him. And he has all of these qualifiers. Like, he's not just a Hynerian. No. He's a Dominar. And yeah. he's a, a selfish prick. And, and he's, well, a several, glutton. several hundred uh, cycles old at this point that we assume. Also that, yeah. yeah and and lived under, under privation and abuse. So, yeah, who who knows? Uh, maybe most Hynerians do quite well on land. And I, he's I, just out of practice because yeah. he's got his throne sled. It makes sense. So we have a snarky discussion between Eren and Zahn. Yeah, this one was kind of kind of weird. Like they're they've got a partnership going on as they're are they're trying to work out what the problem is from uh, from space. Weirdly, it was Zahn who suggested that they need to go down and help their comrades. Um, and, and it was Aaron. Aaron. Said, nope. No, we did, you know, first rule of of combat is know your enemy. We have to know what's going on yeah. before we go down there. We lost we'll, we lost the shuttle. We can't afford to lose another one because then everybody would be stuck down on the planet with no uh, probability of getting back up. Yeah, like Aaron is the only one who is not impulsive and abrasive and and cold in this. Episode. Like she is the yeah. emotional center, which for Aaron is kind of weird. Uh, well, yeah, she, I mean she has a very small part in this episode at all. Just a little bit of 
holding back against the other. She's she's very influential in the yeah. episode, but she barely has any parts. You were a lot more agreeable as a peace-loving priest. As I assume were you as a peacekeeper pilot. I didn't give up my calling. You did. I warn you fairly, Aaron. Do not go there. Is that a threat? I will only tell you once. There are lines that we should never cross. We go back to uh, uh, to John, who is mulling over the the possibility of uh, uh, of living here when the idyllic peace is broken. He bumps into uh, a, a heavily armed, like horn encrusted gentleman. Somewhat pasty faced, though. A little bit, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got the sort of like samurai style headdress. I noticed that with with a lot of their their yes, headgear. Yeah, they've got, the, the, got the, the, the neck uh, the neck covering. Yes, exactly. Uh, and the and the slightly like interned or upturned corners, and the like pointy, a, pointy horns on the shoulders and on the breastplate at one point. Yeah, that one was, was weird. Like, called it the Lucario outfit. <laughs> yes, that's the yeah. This big chest spike. <laughs> yes, I'm not I'm not cool enough to know about the different Pokemon's, oh, so you okay. you'll have to forgive me. Uh, so he gets forced down on his knees, threatened by spears. The the the, the Nubian god is basically telling him to lay off and uh, don't interfere. And he's like, oh, I'm not interfering. It's like, it's all in your mind, man. Yeah, like, that's not a great thing to say to someone when his buddies no. have a knife to your neck, which uh, gets gets pulled a little closer. Fortunately, and- another knife shows up. Because at this point, <laughs> yeah. uh, our great Luxon warrior comes charging in with his batleth. Oh, no, wait, sorry. Uh- <laughs> yeah, finally, putting it to, to, to decent use in a... Sorry, Ian Watson, a not very good fight right. scene. No, he sm- again, he uses it more to smack people around with, although he actually manages to cut someone this time Gets around. a slice in. He yeah. does get a slice Paul in. Paul Rokon, his, uh, his perfect chest is marred. And other than uh, what you'd expect Crichton to be excited, or at least, you know, surprised, he immediately goes back into his three-month sulk. Get the hell away from me. And yeah. he turns, literally turns his back on Dargo and yeah. goes like, oh, well, you guys left me behind. Rather than no, showing I, even some surprise at them showing up again. It's like, oh, you came back for me. It's like, I mean, you'd think that that may, would make him doubt his original decision that they abandoned him. It's like if they suddenly yeah, show no, up again. No, you're right. But uh, I guess, he, like I guess the butt hurts big in this one. <laughs> Yeah, he's just been sulking this whole time because the last thing that he that he that he saw, the last contact that he had with them was from his perspective them ditching him. You guys are bugging out on me? I hate Starburst. Like as soon as he left Moya, they initiated Starburst, and all he could imagine was that they were as fed up with him as he was with them. Yeah. And they just left him. And he's been fuming ever since. And we just haven't been able to read his emotions because of his bad, bad beard. Oh, that must be it. That yeah, exactly. So he's, poor Ben Browder with his bad, bad beard <laughs> was giving a great performance, but the beard was in the way. That'll be it. Uh, and so, yeah, like, okay, you've got it. I've got, I've got gifts this time, and I'm definitely going to post this one. Yeah. So at the end of the fight scene, the uh, they uh, scurry off. They yes. skulk away while Crichton's already just casually sitting on a on a log, and then like it's it's sort of like a Punch and Judy fight scene <laughs> where the where the, the big bad wolf skulks off, uh, and in comes Dargo to chase them away. Um, but yeah, John is not impressed. Says, "Go back where you came yep, from." Having I, none of it. I I don't need any of you. And Dargo's a bit nonplussed. Yeah, Dargo's, well, again, he's being super reasonable and stoic, again, almost apologetic yeah. to the point. And uh, he's not, I mean, this is, again, this is one, one of the situations where I would have expected Dargo to get, like, irritated and start going blustery. But no, no, he's, like, perfectly reasonable. He gives, yeah. he gives John his room to be 
a sulky teenager. And I mean, the uh, closest he comes is to is to say that you know, affectionately, uh, I, th- I think that John looks like Dren and smells like Dren. That's oh, another yes. bit of well, escape uh, terminology there. I guess so. I mean, the they don't, having they fun with that. They clearly don't have showers here, and like, like if I don't know how ravenous those little crustaceans are that live there, <laughs> but it might not be uh, safe to bathe in the lake. Although they have the nice waterfall, it looks like a good place for communal showers. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, medicine on this planet is apparently painlessly poking, sticking hot pokers at wounds and then sticking a leaf on them. Yes, yeah. Okay, so we've got Rokon in the, in the Grandier's tent yes. and, and, and Lishala is there tending to his wound. Yes, like putting a soldering iron to the, to the, to the slash on his chest. Just kind of like dabbing it, not even like da- not even pushing it in. closing it. Just kind of like dab, 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 and which apparently yeah. doesn't cause any distress or discomfort of him. No, he does, he's not even so shown weird. to be like eating the pain or like ignoring it he's just like literally ignoring it and just like <laughs> yes, having a conversation NBD. well she's just sitting there like with this poker like kind of like dabbing at that huge uh, gash that he has across his chest that can be doing nothing good no. like you're just inhibiting the healing like i oh, know i'll just i'll just make sure that the the edges of this wound instead of like allowing them to knit together i'm just going to add more scars on mm, top of this yeah. wound and then just like stick a banana leaf on top, not even a banana leaf, some dried little piece of parchment leaf. Yeah. And no, that's apparently it. That's enough. Job done. We'll just glue that on there and, and, and we're fine. We're fine. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, just as reassuring is the, uh, is the pre-stain talking to the, the yeah. grandeur. Uh, Nira, I think yes, Nira, I think is the uh, was uh, imme- priestess. Who was name. immediately trying to poison uh, the mind of uh, the chieftain about yeah, uh, yeah oh they attacked our warriors. I'm like oh, no, the warriors started by attacking them. The punishment is death. Yes, she's like she's a bloodthirsty little woman, highly ambitious. I mean, you can tell the fact that she comes from a position of authority by the size of her hat. Oh yeah, she is definitely the, got the big purple hat with all the decorations and the the the, the, the palm trees and the camels. Oh, it's great. I, I wish I. Could pull off a hat like that. Oh well, you could pull it off her, presumably. Oh no, I'm not going to near her. She's vicious. <laughs> well, that's a good point. Yes. Speaking of antagonism, oh, I'm running out of segues here. Back on the beach, uh, Dargo has followed Mopey John back to his hobo yes. camp, where Rigel conveniently is already snoozing in the tent. Yeah, he's like decided, like I'm not going to get be bothered by this. Makes you really wonder why. Rigel came along in the first place. You know? I have no idea. Makes, There's I'm, no reason. I mean, for the plot, yes, obviously. But other than that, it's... <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was attracted by a, by a semblance of plot and <laughs> the idea of being important to uh, uh, to an episode. I mean, I, uh, if I want to be charitable about it, I, I guess they figured that he would be good at finding food on the planet. But, food, yeah. yeah. But not necessarily for carrying it back. No, there you go. I mean, that's where Dargo went along. Our little Hynerian is taking a nap, and you can see his little Hynerian feet. They're not very well adapted for walking. They're sort of curved inward, no. I see. Um, and he's woken when uh, uh, when John throws his Aladdin vest over his, over his face as a get-out-of-here gesture, like, saves him the bother of having to rob his stuff and just start right. throwing it at Rigel. Because Rigel was already really napping like on uh, uh, Crichton's uh, stuff. It was, like, sl- yeah. sleeping on his Iasa jacket and uh, kind of like, oh, I'll take this if he doesn't come back for it. Uh, John just blanks his friends and goes fishing. He's got a he's got a he's got a big old fishing rod that he's uh, that he's yep. made. And then Dargo quietly talks him down. We didn't abandon you. Why would we abandon you? Yeah, uh, you left us while we were doing maintenance on Moya. It overloaded. She she I had to starburst. Did an automatic starburst. And it took us like a quarter of a uh, cycle to find you again. Yeah. 
And you'd think at that point, like he, like I guess the butt hurt is still very strong, and it like it needs a little time. You know, to I think it's just the beard. I think he's oh. actually doing a very good, like emotional scene where he's realizing that he's that he's his being, friends have come. He's come being back beard for him. controlled. Yes, and the beard is just in the way of his performance. He he doesn't have like Anthony Simcoe's experience of acting through like. 95% facial uh, prosthetic. Fair point, yeah. Uh, Simcoe does everything with, like, eyes and lips, and he and he manages just fine. But yes. as soon as he gets... I wonder if that's a point of contention between the... Oh, Ben Browder, Benny Benny Browder. Like, as soon as you get a ferret stuck to your face, suddenly you can't act anymore. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> the girls, as uh, as they're called by Crichton at one point, uh, Zan and Aaron are on the ship concocting a plan because they've realized that there is a negative energy vortex and they're mm-hmm. doing some science. yes. Zan brings in uh, uh, one of those like Rorschach inkblot tests that apparently Maya, Moya can print out, which looks a bit like the uh, the, the star map that uh, uh, our one lovely lady presented. Oh Crichton yeah, with at the it's got the but same it's, sort of, but it's clearly uh, something different, right? But it's like it's, it's got stuff on the planet, and they've uh, managed to locate the uh, the source of this uh, negative energy uh, point thing device. Yeah, it's uh, it's still too generalized. But what I thought was kind of cool is so they're, they're using this scan of the planet to, f- to try and find out where their friends are by mapping out the biology and looking yes. for complexity markers. And finding the weird ones. Which is so, like, we have no science that could possibly scan for that. But no. these are Leviathan sensors, and they yeah. apparently walk I mean, according they, to I, other I principles. I suppose they do a lot of life scanning. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe there are space predators. Like, we saw that giant, yeah. giant skeleton oh, on, on right. Mantars. And we know that asteroid. they have very good uh, scanners, much better than the scanners that uh, the uh, peacekeeper ships have. Oh, certainly, the mar- yeah, because yeah. they were able to detect a marauder on the other side of a field that the, while the marauder couldn't detect yeah. them. Yeah, so we got that going. Uh, our uh, beautiful young princess shows back up to the camp, to uh, the hobo camp, to uh, make amends with the other two. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, a little bit uh, put off by uh, the appearance of a giant Luxon, but he says, yeah. don't be afraid. And he's she's with, he's no, with me. Okay, okay. Fine. Yeah, he's cool with this guy, so fine enough. She definitely is starting to show her uh, romantic tendencies toward Crichton at this point. Oh, really? What What gave you, what was your clue? Well, the fact that they almost kissed. There was a straight-up kiss. There was an oh, actual, oh, like, actual kiss. Oh, they, they did, right, yes. See, this is the advantage of me having little gifts on my phone and you uh, going through okay, it with yeah, the, yeah. Uh, the screenshots. Yeah, she actually she actually snogs him. He's not particularly uh, interested, but, hey, again, you can't tell through the beard. No. Uh, she convinces them to come back to the village with her. Uh, and in the Yes, me- to set things straight, to tell right. their side of the story. Exactly. Uh, which they don't get the chance to because on the way back they get ambushed. Yeah, Rokon like, and his cronies again. They get like, like some 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 like one by one me square meter nets thrown over them, which completely incapacitates the fierce Luxon warrior. Uh, yeah. Oh my kryptonite! A little net. She she professes her uh, innocence in this whole matter, uh, and that is again the warriors who are being like overly aggressive and. Uh, yeah, protective of their planet, I suppose. Uh, at the same time, the camp uh, gets uh, raided by some other warriors. Yeah, who apparently have been given the mission: just go to his camp and just pick up some, some random stuff. things. Yes. Just no pattern. Just uh, don't even look for for anything important. Just pick up some things so that your hands are full when you when you go back. And one of those things turns Is out to be Rigel bravely retreating into a bag and hiding <laughs> and getting just picked up in the process. I love Rigel cowering. Rigel, ah. it's, ah, ah, it's so great. Jonathan Hardy does does a fantastic job, like lending his voice to uh, uh, <laughs> to Rigel. Yes, but yeah, they grab like the bag with Rigel and uh, maybe one or two other things, and then just decide like, yep, this is it. We don't need anything else. We're going to head back to the camp. So yeah, the, the for a for a for a parlor scene slash trial scene where the uh, the village is gathered around 
the the prisoners are wrapped in their in their fishnets. You know, I have long wanted to see John Crichton in fishnets. This was not what I had in mind. No, sorry. It's like sometimes you get your wish, but not in the way that you wanted to. <laughs> they are putting up a terrible defense. He's he's just quietly mumbling, "No, it's not. It's not true. It's not yeah. true. I'm innocent." While while the accusations are being leveled at them, like yeah, they attacked the warriors. Like no, it was the other way around. It's like they were the ones being attacked. But yeah. Yep, the prosecution in the form of the the priestane is incredibly. She's she's fiery. She's she's well, accusatory. Yeah, she's like tiger mother, like trying to like make sure that her son ends up in the position of power, yep. rather than, rather than these weird aliens. And the mayor or the camp leader or whatever it is, Catore, Catore, yes. yeah, the grandier. He's a little bit, you know, he's not incredibly harsh on them, but he's like clearly swayed by the the power of the priesthood. Yes, because any time that he shows even the slightest bit of empathy, she reminds him of the absoluteness of the law. Yes. Uh, uh, and that it is, uh, it is not to be questioned. She does so very publicly. The bagger Rigel gets pushed down, Rigel comes crawling out, and everybody immediately has a, like, oh, my God, uh, literally. Uh, yes, and- <laughs> yes, it's, just, it's a very C-3PO move, moment yes. where everybody drops to their knees. Crichton, in his great confusion, looks around and sees that those rocks, hey, the rocks, you know. Yeah, uh, if you uh, line them up just floor. right, then it looks like a... Uh, a little hyn- hynerian. Well, quite a big hynerian, actually. It's so great. It's got the it's got the ear brows. It's got the downturned mouth. It's it, and- Rigel turns to this like a fish to water, he immediately picks, <laughs> raises his hand and starts doing the royal wave. The sort of benediction. Yes. Like, ah, yes. And you see him smile, which I always love to see. Rigel's smug smile is like, nobody does smug like Rigel. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody is on their knees worshipping their god, apparently. Not their god. Not a god, but a sovereign. They're sovereign. Right, that's what he thinks. But, like, no, to them it's very much more divinity, right? Because the priesthood has been carefully cultivating the Hynerians as gods, yes. as we learn, in order to elevate their own power. Yes, because they, they, they have a sacred text called the Timbala. Which Rigel gets provided with after asking for the sacred text. And yeah, that was, such a, that was such a cool bit of maneuvering. Like, he knows that uh, when they're all safely back in the tent and yep. he's being feted and he's, and he's being fed these delicious treats and shakloom jerky. Oh, this is too, too much. <laughs> Keep it coming. Oh, fruit, shakloom jerky. Oh, uh, I was being reminded that he has to perform some function at the, at the great ceremony. And without giving away his cluelessness, he goes, ah, yes, for my part, I will need a copy of the sacred text. And, uh, so, oh, yes, of course, here you go. Is the timbala. And Dargo goes, like sacred texts? How do you know they had sacred texts? Where were you brought up? Every religion's got one. They all have sacred texts. Yes. Where did you grow up? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like just it's like lots of planets have a north. Yes. <laughs> uh, and apparently they're like a bit more page turners than the one in Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, he does need to do a bit of struggling because he finds that it's written in ancient Hynerian. And Dargo goes like, do you speak ancient Hynerian? Oh, oh, I had a whole coterie of private tutors. Yes, but do you actually speak it? I will try. I'll try. <laughs> Which I thought was hilarious. It's like he immediately tries to bluff his way out of even a simple question like that, know, uh, like deflecting yeah. it. And uh, so yes, uh, Rigel starts to get to work by reading the sacred text, even after, especially after the uh, high priestess is gleefully informing of the fact that if he does not perform his 
a sacred rite that she will see to it that he gets tortured to death, basically. Yeah, that's a that's a weird how those like how that that sort of small print seems to be in all of these all of these space religions. Well, she she kind of listens into the fact that they ha- he has no idea what's going on. And oh yes, yeah. When yeah. he finally does like admit that he has no idea how to like, he has to help everyone ascend into the light. Yes, uh, by by the guiding by the hands or something. What is it again that he says? It's like yeah. By the hand of the Masata shall he rise and lead us to the light. Rise and lead us to the light. Rise up and lead us to the light. Rise up and lead us to the light. Something ascend into like, the light and I have no idea how to do that and, and he, she just pokes her head in at that moment to hear that and smiles and then Moon walks back out of there <laughs> <laughs> yes uh, Rigel tries to turn this into a like oh it's obviously metaphorical and like she is like no you will you must no, the, the prosecution insists on the letter of the law it yeah. says very clearly that's exactly what it's supposed to be they're in deep deep trouble also because back on Moya uh, Zan and Aaron have been working on a plan to okay since we can't go down there we're going to have to provide him with a shielded power source uh, through some sort of projectile they got the projectile working but not the power source which is Aaron doing tech work ah, yes! she is literally just like welding yeah. and soldering and just like getting her hands dirty for someone who used to look down her nose at tech work you're pretty damn good at this I wonder how that, like, how she justifies that to herself. Because, yeah, we know that they have the caste system among yeah. the peacekeepers. I mean, and- she's like, she's had like a, a quarter of a cycle to get over it, and like maybe she might have just like she's started done to realize. Before, yeah. I know she does, and yeah. I, mean, I mean, I'm thinking that like she's slowly easing into the fact that she is no longer a part of the uh, peacekeeper uh, caste system, and she's outside that, and like where it's like she's yeah. like opening up to doing more different kinds of work. I mean, maybe she justifies it to herself. Like, it's, it's not re- I'm not really building something. This is just a reverse field strip <laughs> of a weapon that doesn't exist yet. So, <laughs> yes. They still don't have a power source that they, a shielded power source that they can send down. But they have the, uh, they've, they've refined the map a little bit more and they've decided, like, okay, we've got this higher life form, more complicated stuff here. And there's a few of them are different. So, that's probably R3. Yeah, that's so cool. They have the yeah on the on the ink blot test they have these three that are clearly highly evolved and very different from the rest of the the, yeah. the flora and fauna. That's fantastic. And That's they, a fantastic yeah, way to scan. They have the map with the coordinates and they're going to put that in the probe or the pod or whatever you want to call it, and they're going to launch it down to the planet. So all our heroes have to do, hopefully, is uh, uh, is seize that. But they have troubles of their of their own because uh, while Rigel steps out to try and uh, uh, perform his part in this in this in this ceremony, which is hey, it's picking up by the way. Yes. They've got a full on song and dance number They've outside. Got, like, yeah, they're 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 performing the potato dance in front of the uh, big fire. <laughs> yeah. You'd rather those guys have danced all over your face. Because I don't know, because they've they've hauled out this big metal pyramid, which they've built a fire oh, yeah, around, right. and then the, the 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 potatoes are stacked up around it, and you've got these white prayer flags dangling from lines, which are also clearly uh, apparently those were pages from the script. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> don't need these anymore. No. Nope. <laughs> so already shot those scene. Just put them up there. Yeah, the the, the dancing was really cool. They, notice how they wore different colors, much more earth tones. On yes, the, on the dancers, much more so much yellow, more yellow and gold, and ochre. no no purple and orange. Yeah. As if this this shiny purple and orange is their sort of normal everyday wear, but you, if you really want to celebrate, you wear right. earth tones, dumpy, and dumpy earth tones. Apparently, people are burning their possessions. Yeah, because like on they're the, being going, them all on the going, fire. going to be led into the light. 
So when uh, when Rigel uh, comes out, flanked by his boys... Yes, they, they they come out first. They go stand on either side of the uh, entrance to the hut. John and, and Dargo, cross-armed, yeah, looking just like we very are, tough. We are the guards here, and uh, uh, Rigel tries to bullshit. Listen! Listen to me! I... I... Yeah, uh, giving his, uh, his benediction again, and... He falters almost immediately, like, Rigel, Rigel, come on, you can boy, do this, you're, yeah. yeah, you're better than this. Like, he's he's bluffed his way through through Zenithan pirates before. He's, uh, okay. like, he could, he's, he's capable of so much more. I was very disappointed in Rigel in yeah, this, in mean, this moment. Uh, which immediately gets jumped on by the priestess. False god, he's not the Masata! False god! She wants uh, them yeah. out. She wants her power back. She wants. She gets everyone within four seconds. She gets them all chanting, "False, false God, God, False God." Yes. False God. False God. Like they had that in the quiver. I mean, I'm quite surprised at how, like how easily they get turned by uh, just the slightest yeah, right? bit of hesitation on his part. And this is where Dargo uh, kind of like. I mean, he, he doesn't Bravely quite show. runs away, away, <laughs> old Braves are darko. <laughs> yes, him, <laughs> yeah. him and uh, uh, Crichton immediately decides to uh, halt tail. Uh, it's, it's Dargo's decision. Like, this this whole angry mob with torches and pitchfork comes for uh, for, uh, Rigel. Uh, for Rigel. Uh, Dargo grabs Crichton by the collar, yanks him to safety, and they and they, and they they run off together. So Hauls him off, run off to the lake. His whole idea of not abandoning a, a comrade in, in a time of apparently, crisis doesn't apply Rigel's to... Rigel's not a comrade. It's like, at least not an ally. I mean, Crichton is an official ally, but Rigel not apparently so, not so much. Not so lucky. I mean, he, no. Crichton says we have to go back, and, and Dargo says, no, we'll, we'll be no good to him if we're captured as well. We have to... But they have no way to know whether he's still alive. Like, the, the fire was right there. They they could be, yeah, they might have turned him limb for limb. They might have put barbecue. him in the... Dargo, they're going to fry Rigel. Put him inside that big metal pyramid by ways of a brazen bull or something Ooh. like that. Yeah. Uh, but as they arrive at the lake, it's just when a uh, comet-like uh, thing crashes into the water, which is the pod that uh, yeah. was being sent in, which... Crichton somehow immediately realizes that must be it because he dives into the water and pulls it out. Yeah, well, which is such a weird like decision. Yeah, it's a little like, bit like, oh, look, a meteorite just struck the water. Let's get it. Yeah, and and not like, oh, yeah, fine. Let's just continue our conversation. But inside, he finds a rolled up Rorschach test um, that uh, that shows the uh, uh, the circumference of the negative energy vortex, which they interpret to mean like, hey, this is right in the middle of the village. Yeah. There is something in the village which is causing this uh, weird negative power thing, uh, which is what Rigel read in the in the sacred timbala oh, as yes. well. That he he found out that it was uh, what uh, the fact that these people are stuck here on this planet is something that was done to them. They were yeah. colonists from the uh, mint from the uh, Hynerian Empire to yeah. expand their uh, their property or their their influence or something, and apparently were abandoned for some reason or the other. But not just abandoned, deliberately stranded on this planet by the yeah. uh, by the negative power thing. By by Dominar Rigel the tenth, so a distant ancestor. I mean, I mean, I, I, we don't know exactly how long ago that would be. No, but we can assume that it's probably 
dozens of generations because like Rigel has already been in prison this, for a hundred cycles and he was like well not dozens of generations like he is the 16th right now I'm talking about dozens of generations of the humans oh of us yeah 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 yeah, yeah probably in which case like having only 50 is, is a really weird like low yeah, but number but then again it might just be like, like a uh, you know there might be other people on the planet as well and it's just like for budget purposes that we need to show the 50 people <laughs> yeah, living okay. in this particular village yes you have to remind me every now and again that yeah. it's just a TV show yes <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I mean, why would they, why would they do that? Like primitivizing their own their own colonists like this is is such a weird move. Uh, uh, I mean, it did allow the uh, the priest class to to yeah to, but they, to, but, to but, elevate right, the Hynerians to deities. Yes, but that was clearly done by themselves as a power move, exactly. and not, not exactly a, a thing that was planned by the Hynerians themselves. So yeah, we have no clue how or why this is done. Well, we have one clue, and yeah. one, and that is that this planet is in the uncharted territories. Right. Now, assuming that that was always uncharted, and that yeah. they didn't just lose the chart at some point. <laughs> yes then this may be like a foray of the Hynerian Empire yeah. into the uncharted territories, a quiet, like, poking your toe into the, into the water, yeah. sort of like the peacekeepers were doing on uh, um, Maybe. Uh, the planet with the Tanit roots. Right, but they were doing that for to power their weapons, and this is like... This seems right, more like they put a, like a long-term colony in there to... Uh, yeah, sort of like in emergency. Dune. Yes. Yeah, the, well, we, the, the Missionaria Protectiva. Probably, yes, uh, which has been a little bit perverted, I guess, by the, by the power mongering of the, the, the priesthood here. So maybe that was it. Maybe they had a whole diaspora of these primitivized yeah. uh, 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 cultures so that eventually when the Hanirian Empire uh, uh, expanded, they would have some very enthusiastic followers People, there already. Right. That makes sense, yeah. Although, uh, you know, if you have a weapon that can render power inert down an all entire the, planet, yeah. Wouldn't you use that all the time? I think so. That's like a very powerful weapon. It uses power. Doesn't work. Ooh, we're stuck here. Oh, no power, no comforts, no defenses. Sounds like paradise. Rigel and uh, Dargo go back into the village and... Uh, John and Dargo. Sorry. Right, yeah, yes, where, right, where, where Rigel course, yes. is being uh, strung up for the barbecue. Yes. Uh, and, and it's interesting because, like, a lot of that anger suddenly gets deflected onto Crichton, as I recall. It's like... Im- Im- Interloper! Immediately, they immediately almost forget about uh, Rigel again and start uh, being angry at uh, Crichton, apparently causing this whole problem or being the instigator of it hey, all. it's always the stranger, isn't it? The stranger it is, yeah. in, in, a, in, a, in a close-knit town gets blamed for whatever misfortune befalls the, uh, the local populace. Quick little fight breaks out again, and Crichton notices on this big Hynerian-shaped rock that there's some handprints in the rock. Yes, sort of like in Total Recall. Right, with the weird uh, three pr- the three-pronged hand there. Yeah, yeah. Turn on the reactor. Yes. Except instead of you know the the hunky Quaid doing so, it's the it's the sort of co- slimy Quato-looking slug that has to right. be. Right. Uh, Although in this case, yes, uh, uh, Crichton bravely runs through the fra- fracas, uh, grabs Rigel, drags him over to the rock, jabs his hands against it. And by the hands of the the sovereign, yeah. Uh, the yeah. By the hand of the Masada, shall he rise up and lead us to the light? <laughs> whatever, whatever. The hands of the sovereign will lead them into the light because the rock cracks open and this bright bluish white light comes shining out of it's it. Very pretty. Everybody drops immediately, drops to their feet again because now he has actually literally fulfilled the prophecy. Yeah, <laughs> that one. Yeah, that that's a solid win. Yeah, no, for, they're, they're, they're for the, the defense. They're very quickly with the emotional turning around here. Rigel goes back to his beatific <laughs> smugness, which he does so well. Yeah. Waving his hands again. Yeah, 
and his throne sled uh, hovers over, so he's yes. even able power to comes sort of back on. Rise. He slips in. It comes flying towards him. It lifts him up, and it's like even more so now. Like oh, now he's like literally flying off god uh, light levels because of course they've never, to do. they've never seen anything of this like they've they've worked i mean they know they are descendant from uh, yeah. uh space people but they've, ne- they've never seen a hover sled they've never seen something flying around like that yeah i think the suggestion of like you noticed that pyramid yeah. device earlier on that they seem to be cooking around like that must all be leftover technology that Probably, just hasn't yeah. worked that, that they're using as you know. And as... I noticed they had they had like a, a, a plastic canoe in the in the background at one point oh, as well. Oh yes, yeah, someone was carrying like a plastic canoe which where they were paddling around in the water. So yeah. this must all be leftover technology. Yeah, that so worked uh, at some point. Everything uh, seems to be better. The ruler of the village does another one eighty about turn again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For a you know for a for a statesman, he is very easily influenced. He does by... not have much of a spine. No, I guess it must be his personality that makes him such a good ruler. Uh, he is very gentle and, yeah. uh, uh, and 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 kind of and kind of sweet. Oh, uh, a quality that he gets to show to Rigel when he uh, he gifts the the sovereign with ah. a whole lot of food. Yes, the jerky from whatever like shaklum uh, what, jerky, shaklum jerky, which <laughs> seems to please Rigel very much. And that in turn pleases Kato Ray. He's got this yes. lovely smile, like mm, mm. shaklum jerky. Mm. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> Yes. <laughs> does 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 little Hynerian? Do you want some shaklum jerky? Yes, yes I know, good yes. jerky, isn't it? Apparently, oh. he knows that this is a favorite of Hynerians, even though that he's never seen one before in his life. I guess it's the sacred text. Oh yeah, maybe maybe it's a favorite of uh, Rigel the Tenth. Maybe Rigel the Tenth had the planet seeded with shaklums. Oh, perfectly possible. And yeah, it pretty much be all that ends all uh, the. Yeah, much like our episode, it just it just ends here yep. like there's a there's a last bit of uh, uh, uh goodbye to the uh, between john and the uh, and princess lashala another little bit of my affections cannot be handed over uh, there's a little bit of that in there as well like yes yeah because that that's that's what her dad katara says at some point and and even like uh, when all is said and done and john confronts uh rokon and yeah. uh and says, take care of them take care of her or what does he say yeah take care of her but yeah. i think he means his mom I right. think he means the priest then, who's okay. been deposed, and, that and makes she sense. needs to, like... Your mother, will she... She will survive her displacement. Yeah, she needs to chill down a little bit. Rather than, like, he's not just handing over Lashala to, to Rokon. No. Although, mm. well, he's not, not doing that either. No, but uh, uh, Rokon seems to be a little bit more uh, chilled at this point, and, uh, yeah. Yeah, without the sort of venomous influence of his, his of mother. His mother. Yeah. And Crichton says something very peculiar. He says that he has to, he, his destiny is to be with his people. Right. My future is with my own kind. And uh, the way he says it... It seems to, to be he's talking about the crew of Moya. About Moya, yeah. yeah. Those are his people, uh, rather than... Uh, you know. Although there probably is, I, I do think he brings the star chart in his pack. I think oh yeah, why wouldn't he? You have uh, star charts. There are no galactic star charts here. I need to see some star charts. We have no star charts. I mean, he's been whining about star charts for yes, yes, very much so. 13 episodes and never really putting a lot of effort into it. Although, I don't actually see him 
do anything with it. I, I don't know for sure that he actually brings it with him. No. So maybe his whole thing about star again, charts this is whole star just chart is like made with a telescope from the backyard of this village. So it's like it's not really going to be that all that comprehensive or all that accurate or all that useful, I suppose. But okay, John, what do you want? So you you true. don't want them off the map fibers because then they look they, they look weird. You don't want them off off. Uh, <laughs> uh, you just want to use a signpost that says "This way to Earth." <laughs> yeah, a cartoon Warner Brothers. Yeah, this way little to little asteroid Earth. with an arrow pointing this way to earth that's clearly the way that they want to well, he wants to go oh for the listeners at home this is the groan of someone who's trying very hard not to spoil anything for his friend <laughs> something to look forward to so yeah at uh, the end of the episode it's like not much uh, there's not much of a button on this one they no. usually do a lot better with the uh, with they, the they have a little um, personal moment but uh, yeah none of that uh, nothing with uh, with zan and, uh, and 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 aaron kind no. of a yeah kind of a fizzle uh, at the uh, at the end of this of, the, of this episode, and yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? I'm actually with you. I don't get why it's so universally hated. Yes, I no. see the I see the tropes uh, being used. You know, the, the 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 white man among the natives and the and the princess falls in falls in love with him. But I was entertained. It was a- and it was handled respectfully. It yeah. was performed well by everyone. I think I'm with Claudia Black though. It could have been sillier. It, people could have had a bit more fun True. with it. And like I said, it's one of those uh, episodes at which the end of the plot is reset and it could as well not have happened and none of, nothing would have changed, really. I disagree with you there, though. Uh-huh. Well, because it... I mean, yes, okay, so it starts with a, with a flare-up of emotion that's resolved at the end. Yeah. But, like, it is a pivotal moment for John because he realises they came back for him. Right, yes. Okay, I, I guess I guess you're right in that regard. Uh, which is something that he has done for them. He's gone back from for Rigel. Yeah. He's gone back for, uh, uh, for Dargo. And now they've done... Uh, come back for him yeah no very which, good point yeah which he didn't expect them to do no like he's been sitting there for 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 months moping about being abandoned because that's what he expected to, to do like at the beginning he thought that they just didn't care about him yeah that he was just a weird alien who was just like along for the ride yeah exactly like, again everything is my fault is what he says at the beginning and yeah no it's just almost, almost always, always your fault, fault. yeah so but yeah, I think I think this is really important, and and that may be why it's so normal for him to decide not to stay here and and go yeah, be with yeah. his people. Okay, yeah, because it's a really they, nice touch. Yeah. They care about him. Yeah, and he which knows he never that. Realized he knows that for a fact now because they spent uh, yeah a, a quarter of a, a cycle to uh, come back and find him. Yeah, except for Zan, hmm, who apparently doesn't care about him quite as much. Or well, I mean, after three logic. months, yeah. she's like, oh for fuck's sake, let's. Uh, I mean, after a few days, you know, as soon as the last. Kit Kat is finished, you'd, you'd switch to cannibalism even with your best friends. <laughs> we have talked about how our episodes end too abruptly as well. Yeah. Now, we have some recurring segments such as uh, Willie or Woody, so we're going to do that one. I have uh, uh, I have another proposal for a, for a segment. Okay. Um, and so let's do, let's do Willie or Woody first. Okay. So what is your, uh, where, we, where we describe what we liked and disliked. Uh, you know, the deeper we get into the series and, and the farther away from the episode where it was about giving someone a Woody, woody or the yes. Willies, it's going to make less and less sense, sense. to new listeners. So, no, well. She gives me a Woody. She gives you the Willies. Uh, try episode five, I think it is. Yes, yes, thank God it's Friday again. That's where it comes up first. My Woody would definitely be for uh, uh, Rigel's role in this episode. <sighs> yeah, he I gets a lot Rigel. to do. He, he gets, it's, it's finally, this is a Rigel episode. He's like He still gets limited amount of actual time in it, but it's definitely about Rigel because he's the Hynerian. And yes. yeah, he, we get to see Rigel more in his, I guess, natural habitat, where he's being worshipped by loyal subjects. Oh, that's and- what... <laughs> I thought you were going to talk about, like, beach. 
You know, a, a <laughs> no, lakeside no, no, beach. No, 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 that no. seems like where where an aquatic creature like it. Yeah. But yes, no, being fawned on. Yeah. Oh, they being give respected this lovely little... with the court intrigues as well. So oh, yeah. I think that was like yeah. I think that was a nice bit of development for Rigel, and that that was definitely a, 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 yeah. my, my Woody for this episode. I mean, speaking of Woody, he does get uh, uh, taken away by some some local squaws for a bath. It is that bath too, time. Yes. We're here to bathe you. <laughs> Some uh, coming to America vibes there. <laughs> coming to Hyneria. Yes, coming to Hyneria. There you go. <laughs> uh, I don't think I had a, wi- a willy. There was nothing that really squicked me out or gave me uh, uh, weird uh, negative right. emotions in this episode. So, no, I wouldn't be able Maybe to Maybe the Shiklum? No, even that no. was just like was just like sushi, like, like no worse than Yeah, a, you like your seafood. I yeah, don't do well, very no, well no, with nothing, that. Nothing worse than one of those big spider crabs or anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have trouble like identifying a particular willy. Like, yes, okay, some of the yeah colonialist imperialist tropes uh, are, are are a bit problematic, but like they were, everything was handled sincerely and 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 respectfully by the yeah. by the producers and the by the director uh, and certainly by the by the performers. Um, I guess everyone was just a little bit too serious. That's the worst I can say about yeah. them. And, uh, uh, and yeah, some contrived drama here and there. But other than that, like, where does the Woody go? Everyone was like, the the, the uh, costume design was spe- yeah. shush shush. This is a PG thirteen podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say our our, our big chisel-chested oh, Nubian skin. Yes. Oh my God! Yes. Yeah. Even when marred by a gaping wound that is then sort of soldered shut. And, and no, no, soldered and and covered by a leaf. Just one single leaf that kind of like, oh, sits yeah. there held by one single string. It must be like the the magical healing leaf or something. I don't know. Yeah, and then afterward he wears vests. Okay, no, but that's where my Woody's got to go. All uh, the costumes yes. here. Like purple is my color, uh, and orange I would... goes surprisingly well with purple. Uh, it does, uh, yeah. as as oh, as the bearded gentleman from Four Weddings and a Funeral remarks. Yes, the ecclesiastic purple clashing with the heathen orange. <laughs> so you had an idea for another segment. Ah, Do tell. yes. Okay, so I'm I'm tentatively calling this life on Moya. Okay. And um, what I'm what I'm inviting you to do as a, as a little. Oh. <laughs> okay, oh. we are now being joined by our co-star Kay's cat. Who has woken from from her own little uh, starburst slumber Nap and time. is yeah. now experiencing the fourth sensation? No, no that's hunger. This that's is just, hunger. This just, is the. Oh, careful! She's going to knock that glass off the table. Oh, oh, yeah. oh! Now she just wants head rubs. Yeah, she Give just me wants, her, darling. She, I mean, she earlier this morning she like she was napping on a pillow beside me, Aww. and then suddenly there's this full body twitch. And she like looks up surprised <laughs> yeah. and goes like, "What was that?" It's like, "It was you, mate." It's like, <laughs> "I have those too." Yes. Apparently, that's a that's a thing that happens a lot when you fall asleep and your body switches over from your voluntary to its uh, autonomous. Uh, right, muscular it's control. like before, it's, the dream stage happens before the muscular uh, relaxation kicks in. Then, oh right, yeah. I often have it when you like a, a, a sensation of falling and right. then and then the Stum- stumbling. Yeah, it's yeah. And you, you, but you're already kind of dreaming at that point. You're already starting your dream and you, you stumble something and then suddenly you jerk awake. So. Okay, this isn't the segment. I, no, the, sorry. This sounds like another great segment. Talk <laughs> about your weird dreams that talk you've about had, my cat. Oh, or sorry. talk about your cat. Yeah, either way. I mean, that's you know, she can have her own little little news segment. Hey, hey, what's new? Per. Nope. Okay, back. It's, back it's to Gash. The, it's Gash, not Moya, but yeah. Back to the pillow. Oh. Yeah. Back to the pillow. <laughs> 
Time uh, okay, for the second so half of that nap. Life on yeah, <laughs> the sequel, the thrilling, gritty reboot the, of the, Nap Time. The Napping. <laughs> so, uh, Life on Moya, where I invite you to join me in imagining how various aspects of Life on Moya work that we have maybe some glimpses of, right. but because they spend their all their lives on. I just have one rule. Not the toilet. Okay. That's one, one that is we... That, is that ever going to get resolved? No. Okay. I, I just told you, that's the rule. Okay. We're not going to talk just about asking, toilets on Moya. Because uh, my big worry is that maybe it's sort of like the toilets on Lex, which have a tongue. Right. Which, yes, nope, yes, yes, yes. Nope, that's, nope. Let's not go there. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what... Yeah. Well, can you, since we started off on a culinary note, why don't we start with the kitchen? Right. Yes. The... Uh, uh, oh, what's it called? It's the galley, I think, galley, on, yes. on a, on a I mean, on We've ship. seen this place, which looks kind of like a bar, which has some bottles lying around. But we only ever see them really eating food cubes, unless it's food that's that they've just acquired from a planet or anything. So yeah. we've never seen any food preparation stations. I mean, I can imagine that, like, Moya has, like, ovens or, like, a gas cooker. You'd probably not, to, but, like, a heating pad would be easy enough. Yeah. So yeah, we've seen them. We've seen them open these these dispensers where they pull out a tray of of food. So maybe that's like a little microwave they've mm-hmm. got. We've seen them open up a, a refrigeration drawer and then going, oh, this is spoiled, even yeah. though the refrigeration was only off for mere hours. Yeah. Uh, maybe so, maybe it's a stasis thing rather than a refrigeration thing. Yeah, it's a really cozy yeah. space. So what? You, hey, what if Alton Brown had been zapped onto onto well, the living ship? How would how would Alton Brown have would, organized this kitchen? What oh, do you well, need? he would what have you he need? clearly turned the workshop into the kitchen. You know, it's like a workshop, a tech <laughs> shop where, where you can <laughs> yeah, the maintenance bay. You, you have everything there to to you would that you would need in a kitchen, or at least you can fabricate very easily. You've everything. got your plasma torch for flambéing. You've yeah, got uh, you've got engine degreaser. Yeah, you've you got just, like you have a little metal big metal box which you just like heat up as well, which you can cook things in. Like, I mean, if you don't have a kitchen, you turn the workshop into a kitchen because it's like pretty much a kitchen as well anyway it's just like salt fat acid heat yeah, is what you, you need yeah. and yeah where do you find those probably yeah yeah you've in got, the, you've in the got workshop. salt for the like the icing you've got on grease for the, it's just on locks it is <laughs> deep cut yeah <laughs> so yeah that would be yeah yeah that would be my thoughts about uh the kitchen in moya it's like if there isn't one already then like clearly the maintenance bay all right so what would you Okay, you're coming off this planet. They've just been given a bunch of fresh food, so yeah. they've given some of those the, the space yams and some shakloom jerky and probably yeah. some 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 fresh I mean, stuff. You'd start with a fresh uh, a fresh shakloom. Just like do a little stir fry with that. Yeah, is yeah. that what you go cook for? Up, a little cook up the yams, or maybe uh, and then like do a little shakloom uh, stir fry and maybe with some uh, herbs and spices. That sounds nice. Yes, I mean now, that's but oh, okay. So challenge shakloom omelet. Shakloom omelet. Where'd you get the eggs though? It's like, I don't know. All right, so yeah, so that's your that's your. Oh come on, you're you're quite a good chef. Is there is there a is there sort of a seafoody like dish perhaps with a fun name? I'm thinking like vichyssoise, the cold fish soup. Oh, um, uh, uh, because imagine if you don't have like if they don't have like a hot plate or a burner or whatever, and all you've got is your right. prism laser saw. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I mean, if, if you don't have a hot plate or a burner, it's like cooking becomes like you go into sushi very quickly. And all right. Then you need something to cook the rice in. But uh, I mean, uh, shaklumbalaya. <laughs> I thought I I was so sure I was going to call this episode coming to Hyneria but no coming in in the last second is going to be Shaklumbalaya <laughs> and that's the story so far Skate.
Yeah, we'll see you next week with episode number 115, which I don't have the... Uh, no, I can tell you what that is. Uh, Durka Returns. Durka Returns, yes. A collision with a Nebari ship brings a Nebari criminal named Shiana to Moya, along with a mentally cleansed Captain Durka, much to the surprise of Rigel. Oh, I'm so looking forward to watching this one with you, Kay. Kay, I'm so yeah. excited. Uh, for the listeners at home, you can find us at SoFarscape on Twitter and Facebook and on SoFarscape.com. Do get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. I'm Kaki. I'm Kay. So, so Farscape, so, so good. good. <laughs> Shakumalaya is so good. <laughs>